Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we invite you to find your story within God's bigger story. We are a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus. In this series titled How to Pray, we're learning how to have conversations with God even when we're too skeptical or too scared to try. We're glad that you've joined us and hope that you're inspired by what you learn about the Lord's Prayer to talk to God in a different way than you ever have before. If you're interested in attending in person, our weekend services happen every week on Saturday evenings at 5 or Sunday mornings at 9 or 1030. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you uh, today. Um, most of you know this, but uh, I used to be the student pastor here at Waterstone, and a few years ago, I had the privilege of taking our students on a fall retreat up to uh, the Young Life camp that's up above Winter Park. Uh, it was a beautiful weekend in the fall, starting to get that like nice, crisp air, and it's a beautiful campus. You're in the middle of the mountains, the food is amazing, which is not true for most camps. Um, and so we take the students up there, and I love the time of taking kids to camp or retreats because it's amazing when you pull people out of their natural environment, remove some of the distractions of everyday life, how uh, much more open they are to hearing God's voice. Um, this particular retreat, though, uh, one of our students heard from God in a way that he wasn't quite expecting. And so this student, I'm going to call him Stephen for the sake of his privacy, but Stephen was kind of one of those students who, who kind of just marched to the beat of his own drum. He's a little bit unique, and uh, he decided that one night, instead of going to dinner, he was was going to go for a hike and go for a, a hike and walk in the woods of this mountain and try to experience God. He wanted to go pray. Now, it's really hard as a youth pastor to be mad at a student who wants to go hear from God and decides to go for a hike. But as a youth pastor, I was pretty lenient, but I did have kind of one rule that I expected kids to follow at camp, and that was be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. And it's amazing how much trouble you can keep kids from getting in when they're just at session when they're supposed to be or with group when they're supposed to be or when they're at dinner when they're supposed to be. And so this kid decides to go, doesn't tell me, doesn't tell anyone, and some students had just seen him kind of leave and go down a trail. So I'm a little frustrated. It's getting dark, it's getting cold, and I have no idea where this kid is. And again, I was pretty lenient, so I always figured if I came home with about 70% of the kids, that was good because I was passing. So I was okay to like lose one or two, but I thought, okay, I should go try to see if I can find him. So I go on this trail that I think he's on because no one really knows where he went, but so I try to follow this trail. And this trail happens to, to kind of loop out and away from the camp and then loop back to the camp. And as I'm walking on this trail, it opens up and there's just this huge valley that you can actually see across where the other loop of the trail goes back to camp and I see Stephen there and so I call out to Stephen Stephen and I see Stephen stop and look up <laughs> I'm like what is he doing I'm like Stephen stops and looks up and I hear him like he thinks he's hearing from God and says God I'm listening and I say Stephen go home. And I see him just take off towards camp thinking he has heard from God. It can be really hard for us to know if we are hearing from God's voice or not. I mean, is it actually God's voice speaking to us or is it some guy just yelling at us from the side of a mountain? 
there's so much confusion so many times about what it means to hear God's voice and, and is it actually God's voice speaking to us? And, and so many of us have seen that idea of God speaking abused in all sorts of ways and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but in this series on prayer, so much of what we've been talking about is that we are supposed to align our wills, that prayer is the avenue for us to align our will with God's will, that as we pray, God shapes and molds and forms us to align more completely with his purposes. But if we just think prayer is one-way communication, how do we ever know what God's will is for our lives? And so, so many of us, our, our prayer life looks like this. It's like, imagine going and, and sitting down at a restaurant with someone and you just sit down and it's your friend and you just start unloading on them everything that's going on in your life. You tell them about your family and all the problems you have there, how, how terrible your kids are and how awful your boss is and, and how you want help and you need things to change and you're talking about how this has been a great thing that happened in your life recently and then all of a sudden you just get up and walk away, never giving them a chance to say anything to you. It's not a great conversation. And yet for so many of us, that is the nature of our prayer lives. We come to God with our requests and our praises and our concerns and our confessions. And then we leave without giving God the chance to speak to us. And I believe that God wants to speak to us, that God still speaks. As Larry said earlier, in all sorts of ways and facets and avenues, are we open to hearing from God? And I think for most of us, when we start down this, this conversation, down this path about hearing God's voice, we can have kind of one of two reactions on the spectrum. There are some people who are in this room and they hear us talking about God's voice and, and you kind of fall into the superstitious category. The superstitious are the people who they hear God's voice everywhere, all the time, in everything. And so they eat a grilled cheese sandwich and they see the, the face of Christ burned onto the grilled cheese sandwich and they take that as a sign from God that he's gonna cure them from their lactose intolerance, right? Or it's the guy who, who's walking down in the morning and he, he steps on a, a toy boat of one of his kids and he hurts his foot and he takes that as a sign that God wants him to buy a boat, right? And like, oh man, we can misinterpret God's signs and circumstances in our life and assume that that is God speaking to us. And so we really have this, this kind of superstition way of interpreting God's voice. And some of you, let's be honest, you're, you're not that bad, but you're like Michael Scott. You're not superstitious, but you are a little stitious, right? <laughs> so you kind of interpret the little pieces and the little things of circumstances in your life and, and assume that's God talking to you, but you're not really quite confident, and so you don't, you're not sure if you should buy the boat or not, but you, you kind of try to think about it for a while. But then there's people on the other end of the spectrum. So if the superstitious hear God's voice everywhere and everything all the time, the second group is the skeptic. And they're just not really sure if God actually speaks at all. And the skeptic probably has a lot of good reasons. Maybe they've never heard the voice of God within themselves, and so they think, well, if I haven't experienced that, then, then maybe God just actually doesn't speak. Or maybe they've had a bad experience with someone who, who told them that they broke up with them because God told them to, and they're like, why does God work in that way? And so you've seen the voice of God abused in ways that just don't feel like it's actually God speaking. I mean, you hear about the guy who bought a boat and think, you don't need a boat, you need a psychiatrist, right? That's the skeptic. And yet, whether you fall on the skeptic or the superstitious side of things, I believe that God does speak, wants to speak to us, to his body and to his people. And the question is, are we listening? Do we hear his voice? 
because hearing his voice is how we align ourselves with God's will and purposes in the world. I love the way that Ruth Haley Barton talks about hearing God's voice in her book, uh, Sacred Rhythms. Do we have that quote? Hearing God's voice keeps us connected with God's larger purposes for us and for our world rather than being consumed by self-interest. As we become practiced at recognizing the presence and activity of God, we are able to align ourselves more completely with what God is doing in any given moment. See, hearing God's voice is not just so that we can get the things that we want out of life, but so that we can hear the voice of God, understand his will and purposes for the world, and join him in those things. So the question is, are we listening? And if we are listening, how do we know if it's actually God's voice or not? Jesus says in the Gospel of John in chapter 10 that this about hearing God's voice. He says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus says that if if you are one of his followers, if you are one of the people of God, you will know his voice when he speaks to you. That we can have knowledge of whether or not it's God or some guy yelling at us from the side of a mountain. He says the people who know his voice listen to his voice and follow his voice. It's amazing, this image of of Jesus as the good shepherd who, who knows our voice, you can actually go to the Middle East today and you can see shepherds live out this very principle that Jesus is teaching. You will see shepherds who, who know every single one of their sheep by name. And they know their markings and they know their, their personalities and their likes and their dislikes. And they, they know how to lead them. The, the shepherds don't drive them, they lead them. And the sheep know their shepherd's voice. It's amazing, they, they've, they've had people walk into the, the, the sheepfolds and they will say the right name of the sheep and try to even impersonate the shepherd's voice and the sheep still know whether or not it's a stranger or their shepherd. They have an awareness of the voice of their shepherd. Jesus says that we will know his voice. And if that sounds a little far-fetched to you, I actually saw this play out just a few weeks ago. My father-in-law took me on a a great uh, fly fishing trip in Wyoming. And while we were on this trip, we actually had to to ride horseback for 30 miles. It was a 10-hour horseback ride, which for someone who hasn't ridden a horse since he was 10, that was brutal. It was was hard. But when we got, that was just to get to the campsite. And then each day we would ride horseback for like an hour to go fish. And as we were were riding these horses, now I, I was riding a horse named Doc. And Doc was a brown horse. There was nothing special about Doc. In fact, when, when I took the saddle off of, well, I didn't take the saddle off of Doc. When they took the saddle off of Doc, I couldn't recognize him from any of the other brown horses in the herd. I had no idea which one was my horse. But Brandon, our outfitter, he has a, he has a, a herd of 2,400 horses and mules. And he knows them by name. And he could tell the difference between all of these different brown horses or the gray horses that to us who've been with them for a week, they all look the same. But he could tell us about their personalities and which one was lazy, which one was a hard worker, which one was stubborn. And they knew his voice. You see, at night they would let the horses just roam free in this valley. And in the morning he would call out to them and they would all come in in the morning to be fed. They knew his voice. 
Jesus says his people, his sheep, know his voice. That we don't have to be stuck in the space where we're like, is God talking to me or is he not? That we can be sure and know when God is speaking to us. And so how do we learn to recognize and hear God's voice? I think there, there are three primary ways that we can hear God's voice. And the first is we can hear God's voice through his spirit. We can hear God's voice through his word. And we can hear God's voice through his bride. We're gonna spend most of our time talking about God's spirit because I think that's actually the place that most of us have a lot of confusion. But, but what Jesus says is that we can hear God's voice in the spirit of God. And what we understand from scripture is that the Holy Spirit can speak in some profound and extraordinary and miraculous ways. The Spirit can speak through visions and dreams, through all sorts of ways that are supernatural that we would never expect. And some of us can can have a little bit of skepticism about that, right? Does God actually speak in profound and supernatural ways? And we we might even hear stories, right? Like I have a friend who who he grew up as a, a Muslim in Morocco and Jesus visited him in a dream and he became a believer in Christ. And we can say, yeah, that's great, but but that feels so foreign. That that feels so far away. Does Jesus do that here? Well, many of you don't know this, but actually uh, this Christmas Eve service that we had last year, we, it was at the height of COVID and we were trying to figure out how to do a Christmas Eve service when we were only allowed to have like 100 people in the room at the time. And normally on Christmas Eve, I mean, our church is packed. We do four services. There's almost 3,000 people that come and we were thinking, man, if we wanna get to that, we have to do like 30 services. Are we just gonna do services for a week? Like, how do we do this? And someone on our staff had a dream of doing a service outside, of doing Christmas Eve outside, and she had all of these details and intricacies about what that could look like. And that was the beginning of this plan of moving our Christmas Eve services outside was this dream from the Holy Spirit. And, and what was amazing about that is many of you joined us in that experience. It allowed people who hadn't been to church in almost over a year to be able to come back and, and gather together. It gave people an experience of worshiping together when we had been separated for so long. And, and some even said that it was one of the best Christmas Eve services that we had ever had. And it all began with this dream, this idea of worshiping by candlelight outside. The Spirit can speak in profound and extraordinary ways to us when we are listening. But I also believe that the Spirit speaks through the ordinary and the mundane, not just the miraculous. And the Spirit can speak to us through through small impressions that we feel just within ourselves. The Spirit can speak to our, our conscience and prompt us it's amazing. I, I think of the Spirit of kind of like a, a slow, steady, constant moving stream. And we don't get to, to change the course of the stream or, or, or dictate the current. But the stream slowly shapes us and molds us and conforms us to the image of Christ, just like a stream shapes and molds the rough edges off a rock. And the Spirit, over a long time, can shape and mold us into the likeness of Christ. And, and it's not in anything extraordinary, but just the mundane walking with Jesus daily. And so Jesus, it's fascinating, in the Last Supper, he, he goes into this teaching on what the Holy Spirit is and what its role is in our life. And this is what Jesus says. 
If you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Now in most translations, that word advocate is actually capitalized because it's talking about the spirit and we'll talk about that in a minute. And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I love you. You will also live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now what's fascinating is as Jesus kind of starts this this teaching on the Holy Spirit, he actually sandwiches everything he says about the Holy Spirit between two two teachings on obeying Jesus' commands. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Here's a bunch of stuff about the Spirit. And he says, if you love me, you will obey what I teach you and I will reveal myself to you. And so what we have to understand is as part of hearing the voice of God is being obedient to the voice of God that when the Spirit speaks, we have to to listen. That if we want to to have Jesus and God reveal their voice to us, then we have to live in obedience to them. Now notice it doesn't say that the presence of God is dependent on whether or not we're, we're living in obedience. But it does say that if we want to hear the voice of God, we have to live in a posture of obedience. That's why we keep coming back to this idea in prayer of submitting to God's will living in obedience to him. It's how we know his voice. But beyond that, Jesus just uses an interesting phrase about the Holy Spirit. He he calls the Holy Spirit the advocate, which in the Greek actually is a word that has a lot of meanings beyond just advocate. That that word can actually mean um, beyond advocate, helper, can mean comforter, it can mean teacher, counselor, And all of those ideas are wrapped up in this idea of of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so when we come to this idea of of advocate and and the Holy Spirit comforting us, you can think of a a time maybe where you experienced a tragedy in your life and and someone who who loves you came up and gave you one of those those hugs that you can just sink into. And while it doesn't remove the tragedy, it lets you know that everything is gonna be all right, that you're not alone. That is what the Spirit can do within us. It can teach and and course correct and lead and counsel. And so there are times in our lives where where maybe we're stuck in some sort of sin and, and there's a prompting from the Spirit convicting us through our conscience of the ways that we're not following the paths of Jesus. I mean, it can advocate for us in moments where we feel like we're a failure and we're not living in obedience and and our life is falling apart and we just can't get things right. The spirit within us advocates before the Father for us. This is a profound role that the spirit plays within our lives. And it gets even wilder because what Jesus says in this verse is that the spirit of God resides within us. I think so many times in our life, we kind of think of the presence of God as as some sort of game of hide and seek. We just have to look and try to find God wherever we can, and we're searching for for encounters with the presence of God, and we're searching for experiences with the Holy Spirit and hoping that God will just show up. And so maybe that's on a Sunday morning, or maybe that's a, a hike in the mountains, and we're just like, God, speak to me. 
What Jesus says is, is you don't have to go searching or looking for the presence of God. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it is within you. And he says that it invites us into this relationship where, where Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him and we are in him. That somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are invited into communion with God in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus, he uses this unique phrase about the Spirit, and it's referred to later in, in some of John's letters, but the Spirit of truth. Because all of this function, the, whether it's advocating or, or counseling or teaching or leading, all of it is to try to bring us to the truth of who God is. This is where the record scratches a little bit, and we have to pump the brakes. Because while I would love to just kind of continue to tell you how amazing it is to listen to the Spirit of God and, and what that can look like and, and how miraculous it can be and how mundane it can be, the, the reality is that, that the point of the Spirit in our lives is to point us to the truth of who God is. And so many of us think the Spirit is, is, is more actually a, a kind of guiding force that uh, gives us space to kind of manipulate the voice of God, to kind of choose our own thing and, and then say, well, God said, and so it gets his stamp of approval. And we've seen this play out in all sorts of, of damaging and catastrophic ways where people say, God said, give it, how can you argue with someone who says God told them, right? It's the, it's the ultimate trump card. And yet, I think there needs to be caution with what we think we have heard from the Holy Spirit. Not that we can't have conviction, but it's amazing to me at one of the most crucial moments in the life of the church, where they're debating, they have this council to decide whether or not the, the people who are Gentiles and not Jewish have to live under the law of, of Moses. They come together and they pray and they're trying to discern what God is leading and they write a letter to the people, to these other churches that are struggling with this issue and they say, it seems like to us and to the Holy Spirit. I mean, the best answer they had for this crucial moment in the church was it seems like. Can you hear the humility? And so many times what we do with the voice of God is say, this is what he said without any kind of humility and without any kind of conscience or, or maybe caution. And so I'd like to, to just maybe pump the brakes and, and give us a couple reasons why it's so important to have caution around saying God said this. Because really, while well, well, our intentions are good, I don't think anyone sets out and starts by saying, I'm gonna manipulate the voice of God to get what I want in life. There are probably some who do that. Most of us want to hear from the voice of God so we can make good decisions, decisions that are in line with God's will. But our poor theology leads us to some bad places. And so here's one of the ways that I think we can accidentally abuse the spirit of God's voice. And I, I say accidentally abuse very intentionally because I do think it's an abuse and I think we're taking liberties and freedoms in some areas that we shouldn't. But I think for most of us, it's accidental and we're not setting out to do that. But the first is, is what I call, and really this has actually come from Nick over the years, you might have heard it, but it's the, the find the dot theology. And so you think anytime you make a decision, there's a specific dot, there's a bullseye that you have to hit. 
And if you don't hit that dot, if you don't hit that bullseye, then your whole life is gonna go off the rails because that dot is God's will for your life. And so you didn't make a decision about where to go to college and you think God has one school that I can go to and if I don't go to that school, then the rest of my life is gonna be a catastrophe. Or there's one person in the seven billion people on this planet that God created specifically for me to marry and if I can't find them, my life is gonna be a wreck. If I choose the wrong person, my life is gonna be a wreck. Or we do this with housing or career and jobs. There's so many places that we think God's will, the decisions he has, the plans he has for us are are just a dot that we have to, to just make sure we get right on the nose. And the problem with that theology is, is while it's maybe well-intended, I, I think the truth is that there is no dot. There's no dot in most choices. God has given us freedom to choose where we go to school. He, he doesn't necessarily care where you go to school, but he probably cares about how you live when you're there. God probably has a, a lot of freedom that he gives us to choose who we want to marry, but he has a lot to say and clarity on how we treat our spouse. And what we tend to do is we tend to moralize decisions that aren't actually moral decisions. And we say that, yeah, okay, I've gotta make this right, and if I don't, then then I'm making a bad decision and God will curse me. I think there's so much more freedom that that the Spirit provides for us to, to make wise decisions and to make decisions that are aligned with God's clear teachings We don't have to moralize every single decision. And it can lead us to all sorts of of places that I think are actually pretty damaging. So it it kind of leads into this idea that that we have to find the open door, right? And so we look at the circumstances of our lives and we think, okay, if God opens this door for me, then that's clearly the direction I'm supposed to go. And if this door closes, then that's God telling me no. And so we interpret all of the circumstances, the good things and the bad things, based on signs that are determining God's will. The problem is we can manipulate the mess out of that. I mean, let's say for instance that you want to sell your house and you really wanna move. And so you decide, okay, we're gonna put our house on the market and if it sells, that's God's will that we move and if it doesn't sell, which is unlikely in Colorado right now, but let's just say it doesn't sell, then that's God's will that we shouldn't move. But then so often we can get in that situation and we really wanna move and it doesn't sell and instead of saying, okay, that's God's will that we shouldn't move, we say, no, 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 that's not God's will. God wants us to move. That's the devil, right? <laughs> that's Satan distracting us from living out the will of God. And so we reinterpret our circumstances to align with our will rather than submitting to God's. I had this professor in college who she would rail against this idea over and over and over again. She would say, people interpret their good and bad circumstances trying to say that that's God's will. But good or bad circumstances are not signs of God's will. They are opportunities for you to submit to God's will. And instead, we have this kind of astrology, reading the signs or tarot cards to figure out what God's will is. And in that subjectivity, we can manipulate it to be what we want. Because really where where a lot of this hearing from God and the voice of God begins to fall apart is is with this idea of of following your heart. And and we live in a culture that, that tells everyone, just follow your heart, do you, whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. 
And somewhere along the line, we kind of put the Christian stamp of approval on that and Christianized that and said, God wants to make you happy. That's his most important thing for you. And so you need to to follow your heart and whatever your heart desires, that's God's will for your life. And so you can hear people, I, I used to have a ton of students who they would, they would want to break up with someone, but they didn't just have the, the courage or, or, or couldn't just recognize that it was a wise thing to do. And so they had to get God's stamp of approval to do it. And so they say, God is telling me that I need to break up with you. Maybe, what about the other person? What is God saying to them? I saw this a lot in college at a, a Christian liberal arts university where guys would go up to girls and say, God has told me that we're supposed to get married. I was like, he didn't tell me that, (laughs) right? And what we do is we manipulate, and this has happened from everything from breakups to saying God wants us to blow up your country, right? That that is the the damage that we can inflict when we just follow our hearts, follow our will, and give God's stamp of approval, say that God said to do this. And so we have to take a step back and, and wow, the Spirit does speak. We need a humility in hearing what the Spirit is saying to recognize it. And I think there are a couple ways that that God has given us that that provide some checks and balances to this idea of how we hear from God. So God speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, but God also speaks through his word. And if you think you have heard from God and, and you're kind of confused about whether or not you think God is actually speaking to you, submit it to scripture. If you're trying to make a decision and you feel like God might be leading you somewhere but you're unsure, submit it to scripture. God will never say anything to you in your heart that contradicts his spoken word in scripture. See, there's a reason why scripture is called God's word. It is the clearest place that he has communicated to us. If you want to hear God speak, if you feel like you've been in a season where where you've been praying and asking for God to speak and it just feels like silence, go to his word. God always speaks through his word. But we can't just twist it and manipulate it to make it mean whatever we want it to mean. An important caution with this is, is people can be just as manipulative with the word of God as they can with the spirit of God. And so we have to to come to scripture with this lens that it can never mean to us what it did not mean to its original audience. That's just a baseline starting place. And so when we take verses, like I've talked about this before, you're probably gonna be like, okay, pick another verse, dude. This is just getting old. But Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We say that God knows the plans that he has for us, plans not to harm us and for a future. And we, we apply that verse that's to the audience of Israel, which was in exile and say that God has a great plan for me that where everything's gonna work out. Do you see the disconnect? And so we have to submit to God's word when we're making these decisions and when we think we've heard from the spirit of God. This is what Jesus says about the inner working of his teaching, his word, and the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Notice the number of times in this passage that the the speak, 
declare, glorify the, the role of the Spirit to speak what Jesus has spoken. And so when we come and we think, we're wondering, have we heard from the voice of God? Submit it to Scripture. And allow that to be a, a check against some of the ways that we can at times manipulate. But let's be honest. Scripture is wonderful, amazing. What I'm about to say is not heretical. But it doesn't always answer every question that we have, right? I mean, Scripture doesn't tell us whether or not you should move from Denver to Wyoming. I can tell you you probably shouldn't because you're living in Colorado and that's amazing. <laughs> but it doesn't give specific examples always on what we should do in these decisions. And so there's another role that, that God has given, another way his voice works, and that is through the bride of Christ. That when we come together as people, when we pray together, when we, we make decisions, when we're trying to figure out God's will for our lives, we submit those things not only to the word of God, but also to the bride of God, to the church. And we ask people to speak into our lives. Paul says in Ephesians 4, that, that as people are, are kind of confounded and confused about different teachings or, or things that are going on in the world that we should submit to one another. Listen to what he says. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul is saying that the, the people of God come together and the way they speak truth and love to one another builds the body of Christ under his headship, under his authority so that we can know the will of God and the, the things that he has for us and the things that he's called us to do. And so just a couple of quick practical ways that, that you can kind of submit your prayers or, or your things to, to, that you're trying to make decisions on to the body of Christ is, is three really simple ways. It's pray with people who know you. Pray with people who know you and know you well. So many times we, we pray in our small groups or in our communities and, and we feel like we can't open up about the things going on in our life. And so we say things like, I have a prayer request for an unspoken and, and that's fine at times, but man, pray with people who you can be open and vulnerable with, who, who you are not afraid to, to, to bear the things of life with when you're struggling. Pray with people who, who know you, but also pray with people who know God. I heard a story last week uh, when I was in the Mayus class of, of someone talking to someone who uh, was wanting prayer, and I've heard this so many interactions I have with people, but someone was praying, and, and they were praying to the universe, and that might be well and good for some people, but hey, it feels really impersonal to me to, to think that the universe has something to say about my life. And so we, when we pray together, we pray with people who, who share our beliefs, who are, who are praying to God, who know his scripture, who know his words, who have wisdom. And then I would, I would say, finally, pray with those who will tell you that you're wrong. Right, I mean, we can all isolate ourselves in echo chambers where people will just give you the stamp of approval, say, yep, that's great, go for it, no problem, nothing to worry about. And we need people who say, you are, you are off course. You are out of line. I do not think that this is where God is taking you. Do we have the humility to hear God's voice through others who might tell us that we've gotten something wrong? 
I mean, how many of us could have stories about, about parents who, who told us, I don't think that's the best decision, and we just chose to do whatever we want, and it ended up in, in disaster, right? We submit to one another, even if people tell us what we don't want to hear. And so God speaks through the, the power of his spirit, and God speaks through the power of his word and through his bride. But all of these kind of work together in a, in a sort of checks and balances. That, that We actually need all three of these, these avenues, God's bride, God's spirit, and God's word, in order to hear the voice of God. And if we, we take any one of these things out of the, the kind of triangle, it begins to fall apart because we can totally misinterpret God's word. We can ask people who don't have wisdom. We can mishear what the Spirit says. And so we have to have these things working together. And one more thing I, I wanna say about the, the scriptures and submitting to God's word is that scripture is, is, is the key, the interpretive key, and that, that's why I've placed it at the top, is that all of it has to submit. Everything else can be so subjective. For the most part, when we come to God's word, it's very clear what God wants us to do. And we can moralize and think about certain decisions that we wanna make and, and we can say that, that this thing needs to happen and, and so many times God is clear what he wants. It's kind of like the Rosetta Stone. If you know anything about the Rosetta Stone, for years and years, historians couldn't figure out how to translate ancient hieroglyphs in Egypt. And then they found the Rosetta Stone. And it was not only the hieroglyphs, but it also had ancient Greek. And so they were able to use it to interpret these images. That is the role of scripture in our lives, trying to hear from God. If we want to hear God's voice, scripture is the interpretive key to unlocking the voice of God. And so as we come to a close, and, and in a moment we're, we're, we'll do communion, but I want to invite you into a space where we practice what I just preached. I've talked about over and over in this series, we don't wanna just go through a series on prayer and not spend time praying together. The only way we get better at prayer is if we practice it. And so as we go into a space of worship, I'm gonna invite you into a space of prayer. We have stations that are set up around the room with, with pastors and Stephen ministers who are willing to pray with you in the back or in the front. And if there's a decision that you've been wrestling through, if there's an area of your life where you've been questioning God's will for your life or you're wondering what you might need to be doing or what God might be saying, I would invite you to go to one of those places and, and, and pray with someone. Be open, be honest, and ask them to pray over you so that we as Waterstone might hear the voice of God. It's fascinating to me that all of this discourse about the Holy Spirit, it actually comes on the night of the Last Supper. And it comes as Jesus knows he's about to be arrested, knows he's about to be taken to the cross and killed. And there's this fascinating line where Jesus says that, that don't worry, I won't leave you as orphans. It's amazing that Jesus spends the last night of his earthly life with his closest friends telling them about how he is not leaving them because the spirit will be with them. He doesn't want them to think that, that just because he is leaving, they won't hear from him anymore. 
That is the promise that we have in the Holy Spirit. And it gets even better than that because what we realize is this idea that the Spirit invites us into communion with God is made possible by that very death and sacrifice. That Jesus creates the space for us to hear from the voice of God because we are his sheep that have been washed in his blood. And so as we come to a time of communion together where we celebrate the Lord's table, I just would love for us to have that that image, that picture in the back of our minds and in our hearts of, of Jesus sitting down with his disciples, breaking bread and telling them that they will not be left as orphans because God's spirit will still speak and come and reside within them. That is what we have.